0: Peace be upon you. So the last couple weeks was quite the momentous event for human space travel. On July 11th, 2021, Richard Branson, along with five other crew members, traveled approximately 53.2 miles on his Virgin Galactic air launch rocket powered space plane. Then on July 20th, Jeff Bezos flew slightly higher on the Blue Origin vertical rocket to an altitude just over 66.52 miles. While both these flights are amazing in their own right, they really don't hold a candle to the roughly 240,000 miles that Apollo 11 traveled to reach the moon and back in 1969. But to emphasize just how much of an achievement this was, they did so using the most advanced technology of that time period which had as much computing power as the average person does today with their smartphones. But even reaching the moon is a small step compared to the 9 billion miles it would take to reach the edge of just our solar systems, or the 50,000 light years to traverse the edge of the Milky Way galaxy, or the 46.5 billion light years to reach the edge of the observable universe. These distances become physically impossible with the physics that we understand today due to the limitations of physical matter. It is impossible for a human being in this form to ever reach such destinations. The Earth itself has only been around some 4 billion years. So to think of traveling 46.5 billion light years means that if you wanted to travel even at the speed of light with these limitations it would take you 46.5 billion years to reach the end of that uh, observable universe. So because of this it seems like we will never be able to truly experience or understand uh, our uh, universe to this level of completeness. But what does the Quran have to say about this subject matter? While the human beings have these limitations due to our physical bodies and the laws of physics that we are bound by, there are other entities in the Quran that uh, God informs us that are not limited by these constraints. The Quran informs us that in this universe, in addition to the human beings, there is another entity known as jinns. Jinns are not limited to the physical limitations of our three-dimensional space and can operate in a manner that for us seems impossible. An example of their abilities is demonstrated in the history of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. When Solomon asked the jinns in Surah 27, verse 38 uh, through 40, we read, he said, O you elders, which of you can bring me her mansion before they arrive here as submitters? One Afrit, this is a powerful jinn, from the jinn said, I can bring it to you before you stand up. I am powerful enough to do this. The one who possessed knowledge from the book said, I can bring it to you in the blink of your eye. When he saw it settled in front of him, he said, This is a blessing from my Lord whereby he tests me to show whether I am appreciative or unappreciative. Whoever is appreciative is appreciative for his own good. And if one turns unappreciative, then my Lord is in no need for him most honorable. So for background, Solomon wanted to teach the queen of Sheba and her people a lesson of just the amount of immense power that God has blessed him with. So he asked the jinns to transport her palace as fast as they could. And then later on, we read that they remodel it for her. And what's interesting is that when you read the the English, it says, I can bring it to you in the blink of your eye this is actually not the exact way that the Arabic is described. The Arabic literally says that the jinn can bring it to uh, Solomon before the light, the, the glance returns to his eyes. And this indicates that this happened faster than the speed of light. Now you think for someone to be able to take a palace and transport it faster than the speed of light would break the laws of physics, but this is only if you're stuck and limited into a three-dimensional space. And I'll give you an example. Imagine there was a two-dimensional world. This world would look like a piece of paper. And on this two-dimensional world, you have an entity which would be a dot. And in this world, you create a circle with a square in the middle of it. And you ask that two-dimensional entity, that dot, to approach that square without breaking the circle. They would say it's impossible. But us, three-dimensional beings, could easily take that square. Not only can we touch it, we could erase it and move it instantaneously uh, and do something that seems impossible from a two-dimensional creature. And the jinns are in similar form, where they are in a dimension that is above the one that we are in. And because of that, we cannot see them because our minds cannot even comprehend their form if you're in a dimension higher than the one that we're currently in, just like a two-dimensional entity would not be able to perceive what a three-dimensional entity would look like. And this is the reason that the jinns are able to do things that in our three-dimensional world appear impossible, that it seems like it breaks the laws of physics. But again, that's only if you're thinking things in our realm. Where they reside in, these constraints, are they're not bound by that. And because of that, the jinns can traverse incredible distances in our physical world that appear impossible to us. And this is specified multiple times in the the Quran that the jinns approach the outer edge of our universe. In Surah 72 verse 8, which is entitled The Jinns, it reads, We touched the heaven and we found it filled with formidable guards and projectiles. We used to sit there in order to spy. Anyone who listens is pursued by a powerful projectile. So these are djinns who are sitting at the edge of our universe, trying to spy on the higher societies, but they're incapable of. And what's interesting is that it says that they are chased by a formidable uh, or a powerful projectile. And if you think about the Big Bang, when all matter used to be lumped up in something as small as a walnut, that exploded and created our universe, that if you're able to traverse fast enough and try to go beyond where space and time is being created, you would be at the edge of this you know, th- uh, theoretical explosion of the Big Bang. And we read about the Big Bang in the Quran in Surah 21, verse 30, it reads, do the unbelievers not realize that the heaven and the earth used to be one solid mass That we exploded into existence, and from water we made all living things, would they believe? According to the Quran, there are seven universes, and they describe that they are in layers, one on top of the other, uh, with us being in the innermost layer. In addition, the Quran informs us that the jinns attempt to approach the outermost edge of our universe. But each time they do, they're deterred by what the Quran describes as a mighty projectile. We read this in Surah 67, verse 3 through 5. It reads, He created seven universes in layers. And the Arabic for layers is tibagan, which means not only just layers, but one above the other. And you can think of it in the sense of almost like an onion. And it says, You do not see any imperfection in the creation by the Most Gracious. Keep looking. Do you see any flaw? look again and again your eyes will come back stumped and conquered we adorned the lowest universe with lamps and guarded its borders with projectiles against the devils we prepared for them a retribution in hell and we see this repeated again in surah 15 verse 16 through 18 it says we placed galaxies in the sky and adorned it for the beholders and we guarded it against every rejected devil if any of them sneaks around to listen A mighty projectile will chase him back. And similarly, we read in Surah 37, verse 5 through 10, it says, The Lord of the heaven and the earth and everything between them, the Lord of the east, we have adorned the lowest heaven, which is our universe, with adorning planets, and we guarded it from every evil devil. They cannot spy on the high society. They get bombarded from every side. They have been condemned. They have incurred an eternal retribution. If any of them ventures to charge the outer limits, he gets struck with a fierce projectile. So from these verses, it's clear that the jinns do attempt to venture to the edge of the universe. But what is interesting is that the following verse challenges both the humans and jinns to attempt to try to do so. And this is uh, stated in Surah 55 verses 33 through 35, it reads, O you jinns and humans, if you can penetrate the outer limits of the heavens and the earth, go ahead and penetrate. You cannot penetrate without authorization. Which of your Lord's marvels can you deny? You get bombarded with projectiles of fire and metal you cannot win. Now here's the question. Why is this being addressed to the humans and the jinns if the furthest the human being has ever gone has been to the moon which is only a mere two hundred forty thousand miles which doesn't even get remotely close to even the edge of the solar system why would such a challenge be made to the humans it's almost laughable even if we contemplate that okay let's say it's not our physical human being that's been tra- uh, traveling those distances but an object that we we shoot into space if we look in 1977, Voyager 1, uh, it left Earth and is currently only 14 billion miles away, right to the edge of the uh, solar system. But that's nothing compared to the 50,000 light years to traverse the Milky Way galaxy, let alone to even enter another galaxy uh, within our vicinity. Um, So this challenge of the humans to penetrate the outer limits of the, uh, the, the universe, it seems so far-fetched. How could this be possible? Because we know for a fact that there's no way something of physical matter can ever reach such distances. The laws of physics would just never allow it to happen because even if it was traveling, even if it was possible to travel at the speed of light, you would still be within our galaxy, let alone getting anywhere close to the edge of the universe. So, is there another way that this could be achieved? Well, where do the jinns come from? It's worth understanding that piece, because a jinn is capable of reaching these distances. God repeatedly in the Quran is telling us that that's what they do, that it seems like a pastime activity is to get right to the edge of the observable universe and try to see how far they can go, to sneak, to listen to what's going on in the high society. So before a jinn becomes a free-floating jinn, every jinn is paired with a human soul when a human being is born. Such that when a human being is born and is granted a soul, he is also placed with a jinn companion. But it's not actually identified as a jinn at this stage. The Quran describes this entity uh, in Arabic as garinan, which is typically translated as a companion now what's interesting is that this word tarinan, it comes from the root which means to be joined or bound or uh, like shackled together and this is what happens to this entity is that they are shackled they're tied together they're joined with this uh human soul for the duration of the human uh, life and as long as the human is alive the jinn companion is attached to this physical body But once the soul is put to death, the jinn companion is no longer bound by this physical body and not even by the laws of this physical world. Um, And because of that, they have this kind of elevation to this higher dimension where they can do these things that, again, to us seem impossible, right? taking the uh, uh, palace and instantaneously in the speed of light, uh, transporting it from one place in the world to another, Uh, being able to traverse and go to the edge of the universe without being, you know, limited by the 46 billion light years uh, of distance. And um, this is the immense power that the jinn has once they're no longer bound by the human companion. And this makes the jinn is a kind of almost anti soul to the human soul. This also informs us that jinns continue living long after the human being dies. So somewhere out there, there are previous jin companions of our ancestors. Despite jinns having to be attached to the human soul uh, while the human is alive, there is a caveat to this. According to the Quran, there are two kinds of death. The first kind of death is what most people think of when they think of death. And this is the eternal death where the body and soul are permanently disjoined, And from that moment on, the soul is on to another realm and uh, is no longer allowed to be reunited with this body until the day of judgment. In Surah 23, verse 99 through 100, we read, When death comes to one of them, he says, My Lord, send me back. I will then work righteousness in everything I left. Not true. This is a false claim that he makes. A barrier will separate his soul from this world until resurrection. So that is the death that most people think of when they think of death. Is that it's the point when there is no more return. That the body and the soul have been disjoined permanently. But there is another kind of death that the Quran discusses. And this is when the body and the soul are uh, disjoined but the soul is not on to the next realm and we see this example of the uh, individual who was passing by a ghost town and wondered how could god resurrect such a dead town and in surah 2 verse 259 we read about this individual it says consider the one who passed by a ghost town and wondered how can god revive this after it had died God then put him to death for a hundred years, then resurrected him. He said, how long have you stayed here? He said, I've been here a day or part of a day. He said, no, you have been here a hundred years. Yet look at your food and drink. They did not spoil. Look at your donkey. We thus render you a lesson for the people. Now note how we construct the bones and cover them with flesh. When he realized what had happened, he said, now I know that God is omnipotent. So here is an individual who experienced death, but not that eternal death, this temporary death that God put him in to a state where his soul and his body were disjoined from reality. And his, uh, he lasted a hundred years. And we th- see another example with the uh, sleepers of the cave. In Surah 18, verse uh, 10 through 12, it says, When the youths took refuge in the cave, they said, Our Lord, shower us with your mercy and bless our affairs with your guidance. We then sealed their ears in the cave for a predetermined number of years. Then we resurrected them to see which of the two parties could count the duration of their stay therein. So again, God put these individuals, these sleepers of the cave and their dog to death. But it wasn't the eternal death. So there's another time when we all experience this kind of temporary death, and that's at the moment of sleep. In Surah 6, verse 60, it reads, He is the one who puts you to death during the night and knows even the smallest of your actions during the day. He resurrects you every morning until your lifespan is fulfilled. Then to Him is your ultimate return. He will then inform you of everything you had done. So this verse is informing us. That the moment of sleep, according to God, is the same as the moment of death. But this death is not permanent. Obviously, when we wake up in the morning and God resurrects us and puts life back into our body, it shows that the death was not permanent. And this is different than the permanent death. But at the same time, is it theoretically possible that a human's jinn companion could transcend the body while the human being is asleep and travel to the edge of the universe and somehow communicate what they are seeing, experiencing it, back to the consciousness of the human body that's in sleep. Now, in quantum physics, there is a concept of entanglement. Entanglement is when two subatomic particles are forever entangled, such as the spin of one particle will instantly impact the spin of the other particle irrespective of the distance they are apart. Meaning that two entangled particles could be at opposite edges of the observable universe. And somehow, when the spin of one is impacted instantly, irrespective of the billions of light years apart that they are, the spin of the other one is instantly impacted as well. So by knowing what's happening in one, you can instantly know what's happening in the other. And maybe, perhaps, that the human soul and the jinn companion are also entangled, where one could be at the edge of the universe, observing and seeing what's happening, and transmitting that information instantly, 46.5 billion light years away, as this shared vessel's body is in a death-like state. I personally believe that as science catches up with the knowledge that's embedded in the Quran, and this information is unlocked, we are going to see these momentous steps occur where all of a sudden, in again, a sleep-like state, a human's jinn companion can travel anywhere in the universe and observe what's going on. Now here's another strange thing to contemplate. If you're able to travel faster than the speed of light and you possessed a strong enough lens, then theoretically you could take a satellite view of planet Earth any time in history, even from the point of before its creation. Because light is traveling, currently the Earth is about 4 billion years old, and if you could travel faster than the speed of light, And go to the point where the 4 billion year old light is still traveling within space. And peer at that moment. You could observe any event from a satellite perspective of the earth that happened back in history. But you'll never be able to see into the future. And this is a limitation that God has set for both humans and jinns. And this is confirmed. In Surah 72, the jinns, in verse 10, it says, We have no idea if something bad is intended for the inhabitants of earth or if their Lord wills to redeem them. This is informing us that the jinns do not know the future, that God only informs information about future events to specific individuals at specific times. And we see this uh, written in Surah 3, verse 179, it says, God is not to leave the believers as you are without distinguishing the bad from the good. Nor does God inform you of the future, but God bestows such knowledge upon whomever he chooses from among his messengers. Therefore you shall believe in God and his messengers. If you believe and lead a righteous life, you receive a great recompense. Now every time God inspires us, informs us with this embedded information uh, from the Quran, it always comes with a caveat, meaning that this information could be abused. And we see that this example, it exists in the Quran in regards to how human beings abuse this knowledge that God has bestowed certain messengers, that once it is revealed, people figure out how to abuse this knowledge. And we see this in Surah 2, verse 102, it reads, They pursued what the devils taught concerning Solomon's kingdom. Solomon, however, was not a disbeliever, but the devils were disbelievers. They taught the people sorcery and that which was sent down through the two angels of Babel, Harut and Marut. These two did not divulge such knowledge without pointing out, this is a test, you shall not abuse such knowledge. But the people used it in such evil schemes as the breaking up of marriages. They can never harm anyone against the will of God. They thus learn what hurts them, not what benefits them. And they know full well, That whoever practices witchcraft will have no share in the hereafter. Miserable indeed is what they sell their souls for if they only knew. God provides the messengers with certain information, but it's the devils and their human followers who abuse this information. God has revealed us this Quran through his messenger. And in it is embedded information that can benefit human beings, their scientific understanding, their progress, their ability to draw closer to God. But certain individuals are going to take this information and abuse it. One of the big trends at the moment is the fascination that people have with psychedelic drugs. These days, it's almost impossible not to listen to a long-form podcast interview without the topic of psychedelics coming up. On a recent episode of the Jordan Peterson podcast, there was an interview with Professor Carl Ruck, who studies psychedelics and the experiences people have with such substances. During the interview, Professor Ruck describes a common experience that him and many people throughout the ages have had, consisting of a certain concoction of a potion that the similarities between their experience and what is described in the Quran regarding the jinns going to the edge of the universe and attempting to spy is absolutely uncanny. And I want to play the segment now.
1: By long indoctrination is what they were supposed to see and so forth. Um, but and do, on cue, they saw something. Do you see that
2: as a continuation of the shamanic tradition? In yes, you, of
1: course. There's no way you, you can make a, a group of people, several thousand people, see something all at the same time by drumming or fasting or anything of that kind. It's going to be haphazard. Some people may uh, have, a, have right. a transcendent experience and, and others won't. But on, on cue, every year, a large group of people uh, had a vision, after they drank a, a, a potion whose ingredients are known, so and that's, do you that's have what makes it interesting.
2: Of, do you have some sense of the of the contents of the vision? Yeah. Can Can you outline that?
1: I can quote, uh, because of course, to to say what it was openly was prohibited under the pain of death, but. Um, uh, in, in a play of Euripides, the Ion, um, the uh, uh, chorus says that when you pass through the gates of the Hall of Initiation, you will see the stars dance, and with them dance the moon. But I have to remind you that the Hall of Initiation has a solid roof. You cannot see the sky. The only way you can see the stars dance and with them dance the moon is if you have transcended the physical past to the edge of the cosmos, which is what is described in ancient poems of the shamanic journey, to the to the edge of the cosmos and are there dancing amongst the celestial uh, uh, bodies, the planets, and the stars.
2: Okay, let, let me ask you a side Of course, question. that's impossible, isn't it? Yeah, well. Yeah, who knows what's impossible precisely. It's so what's,
1: It's what's described over and over again, though. It's what Plato describes in the Phaedrus. It's what Parmenides describes in his poem. In the,
2: in the shamanic tradition, at least according to Iliad and to other sources that I've read, the, the shaman who, although Iliad didn't accept this part of the hypothesis because he didn't accept the hallucinogenic, the centrality of hallucinogenic substances in the shamanic experience, but we talked about that earlier in the podcast. But the the, sh- the shamanic initiate a shamanic practitioner would die would be reduced to a skeleton that's one way of think, thinking about one one part of the experience and and sometimes have his bodily organs replaced or sometimes have them replaced by something that represented a crystalline structure that was yes. more pure but would die anyways would reliably commune with the ancestors would then leave the cosmos as we know it traveling up and down something like the layers of like a structure that represented the different layers of experience which seemed to me something like imagine the standard three three dimensions of reality plus time so we've got width and height and depth and, and time but there's there's another dimension of sorts which is the dimension that we experience when we go down into the micro realm of being and that when we experience when we go up into the macro realm of being So, from the subatomic to the cosmological level, that seems to me to be portrayed by the idea of the world tree. You can see that in Scandinavian mythology, because the world tree is associated with the cosmos as such, and then the ability to move up and down that tree seems to be associated with the ability to move between the earthly realm and the heavenly realm. And to move into the heavenly realm is to move outside of the normal cosmos, which is reminiscent to me of the idea that God, the Christian idea, that God exists in a place and that, and time that's outside of our universe, so it's, it's, which is quite a remarkable and non-obvious idea. Um,
0: now, I wanted to point out some of the similarities between what was stated and what we covered regarding the Quran. So we know that the jinns, again, they're living in a uh, dimension that's not limited to the uh, X, Y, and Z coordinates of this physical world. And that they're able to traverse, again, to the edge of the universe, traveling through in what is described, even in the, uh, the, the, the experience, as uh, layers. Now, what's fascinating is that they're saying that people have been doing this, uh, creating this very specific concoction of a psychedelic potion and drinking it and having this experience of getting to the edge of the cosmos uh, and uh, visiting with their ancestors um, in what they described as the Hall of Initiation. And the fact that people have been using uh, the jinns for these sake uh, in this form of witchcraft is testament that what is being stated in the Quran, that there is a lawful way of potentially doing this. Where human beings, without the use of psychedelics, without the use of uh, uh, manipulating gins, uh, can potentially uh, traverse their uh, companion uh, in the moment of sleep. And this is something else that was interesting. They said that the person who is going through this uh, uh, state, uh, this uh, this journey, uh, had to first fall into some sort of metaphorical death. And God describes this, that it's possible to achieve this through sleep, that potentially at the moment of sleep, our jinn companion might be able to go and traverse the universe and make these observations and increase our scientific understanding of the cosmos in a lawful manner and transmit that information via entanglement back to the consciousness of the human being uh, as they're sleeping. And maybe in the future, again, as the science catches up to what's being uh, discussed in the Quran, we might be able to go far beyond our imaginations and be able to tap in and see these events that are transpiring within our universe and really understand uh, God's creation. God willing, I'm going to end with the statement made by the jinns in Surah 72, Uh, where starting from verse 10 through 15 it says we have no idea if something bad is intended for inhabitants of earth or if their lord wills to redeem them some of us are righteous and some are less than righteous we follow various paths we knew full well that we can never run away from god on earth we can never run away and escape when we heard the guidance we believe therein anyone who believes in his lord will never fear any injustice nor any affliction Among us are submitters, and among us are compromisers. As for those who submitted, they are on the right path. As for the compromisers, they will be fuel for gehenna. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. And if you guys like the podcast, Please leave us a review, shoot us an email, uh, let us know, spread the word, and until next time, peace and God bless.